Thanks for listening to this podcast from Walks Around Britain. For more information, our terms of use and to click through to see the show notes on our blog with photographs, videos and links to related sites, please visit walksaroundbritain.co.uk. In the 27th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we're talking dogs, ready for this year's Cluffs at the NEC in Birmingham. The Chief Executive of the Ramblers, Benedict Southworth, discusses the England coast path. And, and it affects a lot of animals, but there's a specific species of lungworm which just is only found in dogs. Comedian Bill Bailey encourages us dog owners to be lungworm aware. and you're very welcome to the 27th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast. I'm Andrew White and I'm your walking guide for the next half an hour of walking and outdoor chat here on the podcast. And welcome to a new look for the podcast as well. Well, if audio things could have a look, perhaps that should be a new sound instead. All to match our new television series, which is currently airing on the Community Channel in the UK and also later in the year on 10 of the local television channels across the country too. So if you've not had a chance to see it yet... Visit our website, walksaroundbutton.co.uk, for more information about the next time and channel that it is on. Well, with the world's largest dog show, Crufts, upon us next month, we thought we'd have a bit of a doggy theme for this podcast and take a listen to some interesting interviews we recorded at last year's Crufts. It's estimated there are 9 million dogs in the UK, and most of them are owned by people who love to get out with them for walks. But it can be a challenge to train your dog and keep them under control which is where the Kennel Club's Good Citizen Dog Training Scheme comes in. Jen Wyatt, team leader for the scheme at last year's Crufts, told me more about it. The scheme is promoting responsible dog ownership. What we're trying to do is educate the public and their dogs how to behave better in society. The scheme starts from puppies and it goes all the way through to the gold scheme and there are different levels. So the puppies would start from little basic exercises like the sit and the down, little puppy recalls, etc. And then when you do the bronze exercises, you would do uh, longer recalls, walking loosely, mixing with other dogs and mingling. And then when you do the silver exercises, some of those exercises would be controlled greeting with um, a person and their dog, getting in and out of the car, again, all controlled basic food manners, the dogs are not allowed to snatch food, etc. And then when you get to the gold, we send the dogs to bed, and it's not a punishment, it's a place of safety. They have to do emergency stops when when told to do so. So as the scheme, as you go through the the various levels, the exercises get that little bit more harder. And uh, today we've had half a million dogs go through the scheme and pass. So that's a fantastic yeah. number, and for, for walkers, it's quite an important thing for walkers who have dogs. It's quite an important scheme to get involved with, really, isn't it? It certainly is. What we're trying to do is promote responsible dog ownership, and we're trying to make owners aware that it's so important for their dogs to be under control. For instance, quite often you'll go to the park and you'll see lots of dogs loose, which is absolutely fine, but they have no recall. And of course, one 
day they're going to go up to a dog and pick on the wrong dog. So we're trying to get the message across to get good recalls, responsible dogs. It's very, very important that we get the message across. We want these dogs to be sociable dogs, but we want the dogs to be more into their owners than other dogs because one day they will go up to the wrong dog and there'll be a bit of a disaster and we're trying to avoid that really. And also most walkers enjoy seeing other dogs but there are walkers and people out there who, who aren't dog friendly and it's about getting a message over to owners that we need to control our dogs in that situation. It too. certainly is. We're trying to we just want to put the message out there that uh, if you go through this scheme we will teach you how to get a better behaved dog in society and if we can get that message across we're going to have fewer incidents. Across the board. So, how do you find out more information about it? Uh, you can ring up the Kennel Club, that's a good place to start, or you can log on to the Kennel Club website and click on to the Good Citizen Dog Scheme, and that will tell you everything about the scheme you need to know from the puppy scheme, all the exercises, the bronze, the silver, and also the gold. And if you'd like more information, visit our website, walksaroundbritain.co.uk, and click through to our blog, where you can see the show notes to this edition of the podcast with all the links. Now, there are many walks in Britain which are fine for letting dogs off leads. But if you're not sure about whether a walk is suitable, it's best to keep them on a lead. But this means a dog doesn't get to fully explore the new place that they are in. So how about a flexible lead? Adrian Hind from Flex in the UK explains more. Obviously it's very important to keep your dog under control when you're going walking and lots of people don't like to leave them on standard leads. A flexi lead is a good idea to keep them under control but also let them go out and explore, isn't it? That's correct because flexi, we firmly believe, we want to give freedom but under control. So the dog has an element to go and discover, do naturally what it wants to do, play, inquisitiveness, but at any time the owner can now bring the dog under control if there's any form of danger in the vicinity. So how does it work then? Explain to people who haven't seen how it works. It works by a what we call the heart, a very, very high-quality spring mechanism, and it's available in either cord or tape versions. And then we have a control button, which is a short brake system. So as the dog naturally goes out... You can stop it at any point with a simple push on a button or move a second button which puts it into a permanent lock position. If you've not got any lock on, as the dog naturally comes back to you, the spring under tension will recoil the tape or the cord into the main housing. So what's the difference between the tape and the cord? When we first started making the leads 40-odd years ago, everything was with a cord. But now we sell 50-50. Tape pro rata is a stronger material and will take a larger dog waiting. People seem to prefer that security and comfort. When we first started getting flexi leads, the design was a little bit different, but it's pretty much the same, isn't it? It's a little bit more high-tech now. It's a lot more high-tech. When you consider the first one was developed by our founder, Mr Bogdan, who's still very much involved in the company, and it was worked on the principle of a starter motor for a chainsaw. (laughs) And with that idea, he's developed it. We've looked at it using the correct amount of plastic and metal to today's high-tech engineered made in germany product that we enjoy and love and if people want to find out more information about it if you want to find more please go to our website which is flexi.de where all the information is readily available now that's our dogs safe on the walk but what about their safety on the way to the walk how can we make transporting dogs in cars safer 
Well, one way is to invest in a dog cage, and one of the leading manufacturers of dog cages is Lintran. I chatted to Frank Hopkins to find out more. Right, we do a range of cages, uh, mainly in plastic and fiberglass. Coming up to 25 years of manufacturing these cages now. We started with a clean sheet, looking at everything that was like metal cages and things like that. And we thought, what can be better for the dogs? So one of the most important things for the dogs at the time was obviously heat and cold. So we do white plastic boxes that keep the dogs warmer in the winter if they lay on the plastic and they're cooler in the summer because they're white and reflect the heat. They'll keep your car a lot cleaner. Unlike if you have something that's fitted out, you can lift these in and out of the car and you can take them from one car and put them in another. So if it's someone who's doing show dogs, they keep the cars clean because they're white and hygienic. They can disinfect them out. If it's hunting and shooting, the dog gets very muddy on a shoot day. They can also clean the boxes out at the end of the day, really. From a safety point of view, that's a big issue, isn't it, taking dogs in cars and, and having them safe while you're travelling. What can you say about the cages for that? As far as safety goes, we've been manufacturing the boxes now for 25 years and we've not lost a dog in the 25 years. Ours have been crash-tested in real life. We've had between... Over the last 25 years, our records show we've had between 50 and 100 vehicles that have been written off, rolled over, hit from the side and all different impacts. And the boxes have stood up to all types of impact. I mean, one um, story we had from Croftsea this year was somebody talked to my wife that they were going home from Crofts last year and their car was written off with all the dogs in. They ended up in hospital that all the dogs were safe because they were in some of our cages. And one of the original things we always tell people is we had a guy in the very early days, his car was written off, he was in a coma. When he woke up from a coma, he had two Labradors in the back. The first thing he said is, what's happened to my dogs? And um, when he spoke to people afterwards, they said, uh, the fire brigade had said, the dogs, they just lifted out the back in the box and put them on the side of the motorway and he ended up going in an ambulance helicopter, helicopter to have treatment and as I say, he was in a coma for over, I think it was two weeks. So safety very, very important then. Oh yeah, I mean, safety, really and truthfully, whether it's one of my boxes or any box really, or any cage, a dog is always safer contained in a, in a box or a cage than they are with a, a guard because the side windows can break, the tailgate can come open, the rear window can break and if they're in a box, we've had instances where if the box has not been secured in the car, the boxes fell out onto the road and the dogs have still survived because they were in the box. Yeah. Now, if they were in the back with just a dog guard in or, or in a, a seat belted harness on a back seat, if the windows break, they can still dangle out the window or they can fall out. And also you've got safety for the occupants of the, if oh, I, yeah. for the driver. Because obviously a, a dog loose in a car is a missile that's going to end up through the front windscreen. So. so how do you order them for different sorts of cars then? We have a range of about 20 or 30 universal models. But we also have a bespoke range. We also do kit outs for things like... Isuzu, Subaru, Steeds, four-wheel drives and pickups. 
Range Rovers and then we have a bespoke range which we would do for like we did 350 vehicles for the RSPCA National Fleet. We did all the boxes that carried the bomb dogs for the Olympics. We did over 100 dogs worth of vehicles for the Olympics. So we've got a coach building shop and facilities to do from a basic online order for over the phone order for a simple box right up to fitting an emergency services vehicle out for the fire brigade, police or rescue. So if you're a serious walker, you're taking your dogs out for a walk, these are something that you really ought to consider? Oh yeah, definitely. We do all the accessories and equipment that go with that. If it's hunting and shooting, we do some of the training equipment. If it's police or security, we do harnesses and things for that. If it's a pet walker, we do a light, a special light that can be fitted to the dog and you can see it up to a mile away. So if it's dark and the dog runs off in the woods, you know, it's all things like that we try and build around the products. If you want to find out more information, what's the best way of getting into it? You can just go online to lintran.co.uk. You can ring us, or only be too pleased, or better still if they're around Crufts or not at Crufts. Come to Crufts and see us. Frank, thanks very much. OK. Thank you. Now, we can recommend Lintran because they're the cage that we use to take our dogs everywhere in our car, but other manufacturers are available. So the best way to decide what might be right for you is to visit a dog show and have a look at the various makes, models and their prices all in one go. Keeping your dog safe isn't just a case of putting them in a dog cage or keeping them on a lead. There are a whole host of nasty critters to watch out for when you are taking your dog out for a walk. One particularly nasty one is lungworm. And last year, comedian Bill Bailey was on hand to explain more. Well, I'm here to uh, support this campaign, Be Lungworm Aware, uh, which is uh, a campaign to, to, as the name suggests, get specifically dog owners to be aware of this parasite which can affect their dogs. And um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's been around for a, a while, obviously, and it's, it affects a lot of animals, not just dogs. But there's a specific species of lungworm which just is only found in dogs. And the reason that we're, we're here and the reason for this campaign is because it's on the rise. And it has been around for a while, but only recently, I think there's been some surveys conducted by Royal Veterinary Society and a sort of a survey of veterinary practices and they found that it's now throughout the UK so it's, it's now a bit more of a serious problem and it's now where everyone should sort of sit up and take notice So is it more areas of the UK than others? There, there are, in fact, actually, if you go to the website www.lungworm.co.uk there's actually a map of all the sort of areas where it's most prevalent so, as dog walkers, that's a really big thing to look out for and be aware of, isn't it? Sure, absolutely, yes. I mean, the, specifically, the, the, the nature of it, how, it, how it, the dog picks up the parasite, is through eating slugs and snails. And the, the, the lungworm itself is carried in the slug and the snail. So, sometimes, I mean, it's not something that dogs necessarily eat, you know, as a matter of course, but they might, by accident, they might uh, drink from a puddle which has tiny slugs or snails and it doesn't have to be very big for them to ingest the, the parasite. So you've just got to be aware of it. I think, you know, it, it's something which you can talk to your vet about. I think that would be, the, go to the website and, you know, sort of find out a bit more about it. What sort of the symptoms are they being about if they have? Well, there's a range of symptoms. It's, it can, I mean, the trouble is, is because it affects some dogs in lots of different ways, it can sometimes be quite difficult to pick up straight away. 
the dog will you know, sometimes will be coughing, sometimes will just look a bit out of sorts. You know, if you're a dog owner, you know your dog's not, there's something not quite right, he's off his food or there's a, a weight loss, a bit of bleeding, perhaps they get a cut and the, ble- the bleeding doesn't stop initially. A range of symptoms which collectively will point to lungworm. And a good thing to look at the website. Absolutely, yes. Check, check the website out, check out the symptoms. I mean, I think the thing this is, to, is to, to find out about it, find out how it can be, uh, the dogs can pick it up and, and uh, you know, look out for the symptoms. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. You're welcome. And for more information about going walking with your dog, visit our website, walksaroundbritain.co.uk. Now, other than our dogs, another famous dog who lacks the odd walk is Reuben, the faithful friend to the TV broadcaster, explorer and marine biologist Monty Halls. Given their base is in Dartmouth, the last time I chatted to Monty, I asked him about what their favourite walks were along the southwest coast path. Well, where to begin? I think uh, there are a great many, and particularly I speak as a southwest boy, so... You know, I know a fair few of them. I think uh, close to home for me, we've got a walk that's um, Scabacan Beach to Dartmouth, and I live in Dartmouth, and that's a walk of about five miles, but it's a particularly gnarly five miles. It's the roller coaster of the of the Southwest Coast Path. You know, it keeps you in great shape walking that path because you're obviously up and down the cliffs. We've got this very convoluted coastline. So Scabacan to Dartmouth is, is certainly one of my, my favourites. There's another one at the Lou Bar, which is uh, Helston in Cornwall. Yes. And it basically sort of follows the line of the, of the river, the, um, the estuary there. And um, you cross over at the bottom uh, across the bar itself, and hence the name of the walk. Um, this uh, beautiful sandbar, and then you walk back up the other side. And you're going through some lovely wetlands. You go through beautiful pine forests. Um, it's a really spectacular part of the, of the path. And also, I think if you're looking for something to really, a real fire burner, um, you, you have to go a long way to be sort of Linton and Lynmouth, you know, around that area on the north coast. Yes. Um, but then, of course, you've got Croydon, Bantham as well. These, these uh, I think Croydon and Braunton and Saunton, you know, again, wonderful open stretches of, of beach, sort of mile, uh, particularly Saunton, you know, mile after mile of beach. So, yes, there are a great many. So is Ruben a big fan of the beach? Oh, I've never known a dog that loves the sea as much as Ruth. <laughs> he loses his mind when we uh, get close to the sea. He really does, that whiff of ozone. Um, you know, he starts bouncing around in the car like a maniac. The moment I let him out, he's, he's off. Um, and he'll swim for hours and hours and hours. I was out sea kayaking um, once, and he spotted me from the shore and swam out to me and followed my sea kayak. And we worked it out later on. It swam about a mile Good grief. or so with me with my sea kayak. Just he's crazy about the sea. I think most dogs love getting out into the sea, don't they? Yeah, I think so. There's something about the sea, isn't there? The sort of roar of the surf and the smell and the wind. And, you know, it ruffles their fur and they get all excited and they get that sort of hunting look in their eye and... Uh, they're on patrol with the pack and all, all that. I think it's a very, it's the same with us. You know, it's a hugely stimulating environment on every level. I think, um, you know, it's quite wild, the sea, and I think that appeals to dogs and it appeals to us as well. 
Now, back in 2006, plans for a coastal path all around Wales were announced, and six years later, the 870-mile Wales Coast Path was officially opened. In 2007, the England Coast Path was announced. Fast forward six years to 2013, and only 20 miles of this new path around England's coast had been completed. A while ago, I chatted to the chief executive of the Ramblers, Benedict Southworth, about his view on the progress. Well, we advocated very hard for the English Coastal Path. We think it's a fabulous idea. We think it could really help uh, many coastal communities at a time of economic austerity. If you like, it's a, it's a green investment for the country, a low-carbon, good for tourism, good for the rural economy investment. Unfortunately, I think we'd have to say progress is slow. We don't see a great degree of enthusiasm from the government for it. It sort of almost feels like it's a slightly begrudging kind of approach to it. Uh, and, and, and I'm surprised by that. I think what we, we do know is that it's cheap. It's uh, £18,000 for a metre of motorway and £1 for a metre of coastal path. We know from Wales that it pays for itself. So the Welsh Coastal Path has brought in uh, £16 million to the Welsh economy and it costs £16 million to bring. I can't think of many investments that pay back in the first year. Um, We know that it can do something slightly more than just something sort of economics. I mean, people will fall back on economics trying to convince the government, but I think it's about something more. I think it's about being an island nation. It's about having something that connects us together. It's about rediscovering the third of the English coast that we don't have access to. And and so kind of I sort of I mean you know, I kind of I make the economic arguments, but I think there's also just a straightforward emotional argument. This is a cheap investment to get us back to the coast. Mm. Uh, to allow kids to paddle in the beach, to allow uh, people to walk from one community to the next. Uh, and I think it's something that we should be grabbing with both hands as a country. I think we should have been looking to the Welsh experience and kind of going, my God, look, you know, it works. Mm. And instead we seem to have looked at Wales and gone, well, it works, but we're English. Mm. Do, do you think that it's, it's part of the problem here is the fact that England as a, as a nation doesn't have its own parliament? Is this part of the problem? Are we, are we, are we having a great uh, thrust from Wales because it was a Welsh initiative? Well, I think it's no doubt that the, the, the Welsh government has been grabbing its new powers with great uh, glee and doing some quite impressive stuff in terms of setting uh, a, a vision for how kind of the nation of Wales should develop in terms of you know, it's had low carbon strategies and uh, you know healthy Wales and all sorts of stuff. And it's a smaller country, therefore it's able to integrate its stuff more more effectively, perhaps. Um, I don't. I think we're gradually groping towards an English identity. Um, I think the British and the English conflation of identity has been going on for for so long, and I think that uh, sometimes decision makers do overlook something that is English. Mm. Um, and I think the coastal path could be a, a kind of a flagship English project. You know, if we're going to if we're going to reinvent ourselves in the light of devol- devolution. What, is, what makes us quintessentially English? And on a day like today, when you're looking around the, 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 the Peak District and you're looking at the walkers and you look at the way people engage with nature, you think, well, that's, that's quintessentially English. Um, 
let, let's open up the coastal path, let's open up the coast, and let's re-engineer re, re or reinvent an English identity around our ability to get out there, or, uh, you know, get outdoors on foot. Because going out from our coasts, defending our nation, but also exploring other lands in, in, has been also part of our identity as well, hasn't it? Well, we're, we're an island nation. The sea and the coast has played such an important part in our history and you know we can manage to make a 10 tv series about our coast <laughs> um, and yet a third of the coast in england is cut off from people i think uh, people from overseas when i tell them that are, are astonished they i think they think we're crawling over our coastline every minute of every day um, i think we, we're missing a trick and um, and you know coming back to the economic arguments it's a very cheap very good investment for this country in its rural economy, coastal communities, tourism, um, and physical health and, and well-being. And, you know, it's basically about the price of a mile of motorway. If you're going to meet some of these landowners who are in England quite resistant to this, how can we get them to change their views that opening some of this land up would be in their interest? Well, I think what I would say to, to landowners who, who are afraid of, of having the path across their land is that it, we've been able to do it successfully in Wales. We, we're not, you know, there's not a massive groundswell of people in Wales shouting foul. You know, things have, things have worked out fine. Um, the other thing to say is that although people live on their own farm or their own piece of land, they, they are part of the community and everybody wants a vibrant local community uh, to be part of. And having a coastal path is, a, is one way, it's not the only way, but it's one way of bringing much needed sort of economic benefit, bringing people in uh, to a community. And I think we, we, we forget that marginal things, small things can, can make a difference. If, 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 if a few walkers a day can tip the balance to keeping the bus service open, the pub open and the post office going, then that is an amazing difference for the community. And I walk regularly and I walk time after time, particularly in some parts of the southeast of England, I walk through village after village, which have been turned into commuter villages. There's no pub, no post office, you know, and you just think that these communities have lost something. The government has since pledged extra funds and made a commitment for the England coast path to be completed by 2020. So with only four years left, we'll be reporting on its progress in future editions of the podcast. Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If there's anything you'd like us to cover on a future edition of the podcast, please email us. The address is podcast at walksaroundbritain.co.uk. And don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook and a range of other social media sites too. For all the information, visit our website, walksaroundbritain.co.uk. Until next time, thanks for listening and happy walking. Happy walking.